the perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson, Tom Fernelli, Danny Cannell, and Bud Elliott. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Bud Elliott. That's Tom Fernelli. I'm Chip Patterson sitting here with my cigar. Yeah, I'm walking wild. That's all right. <laughs> what it, what, whatever the BP had as I had to make a, a, a run at halftime of the Tennessee-Alabama game. That's right, the Tennessee-Alabama game to go and get my cigar to honor the Tennessee Volunteers as they go and snap a 15-game losing streak to the Crimson Tide. 52 to 49 is your final. <laughs> Pete Helms in the chat. The Vols are back. Listen, we have so much to get to here. Um, I would say that Oklahoma State TCU uh, was, or TCU Oklahoma State, was the banger that we were expecting. Michigan Penn State, not the thriller, but honestly, one thing we were hoping for, at least in terms of getting to see what was going to happen with these two teams that were undefeated? What can we take away from this? The the top of the college football world looks like it has a few new contenders and all the way down the ranks. We still have, honestly, as we are talking, we are in the final minute of USC and Utah. That game is going to go live as we are talking right here. So much to get to, but we have to begin with the reason why we made the run to the gas station to go and get these cigars, the Tennessee Volunteers, as they win 52 to 49. I mean, bananas game, so much to get to. I don't know if you want to talk about Jalen Hyatt's five touchdowns. I don't know if you want to talk about the officiating. I don't know if you want to talk about Bryce Young having a really good game here against Tennessee's defense. Um, I don't know. Where do we want to get into this? But we have to start with the epic in Knoxville and the goalposts that are probably still working their way down the strip at this point. I want to talk about gas stations and why they only have Lucy Black and Milds and they don't have actual cigars anymore. What the hell? I mean, hey, could I get a swisher? Step your game up. Shout, shout out Orlando Speedway. You know. <laughs> I can't even just get a Macanudo or something. Come on, us. <laughs> Anyways. From <Man>. what you think? <laughs> um, good on you, Chip. <laughs> I don't that was uh that was an incredible football game. 
there were some calls both ways by the officiate officiating that didn't quite agree with that annoyed me to no end. But at the same time, I didn't care because it was just an incredible football game between two very good teams. And it's very rare. Like we get these matchups every year and like, you know, Alabama top, you know, number three, Tennessee, what was it? Six. You get, you know, they get all hyped up and you're like thinking, okay, this is the year Tennessee can end it losing streak and then the game shows up and then usually the team that was supposed to be good ends up smacking the team that's the surprise and you know we go back to normal and it's another boring season well not season but you get what i'm saying and but for this to happen tonight like even if tennessee had lost just the fact that how awesome that game was it was i mean i don't even know where to start hendon hooker five touchdowns all to jalen hyatt who caught six passes for 207 yards and five touchdowns bryce young played spec spectacular jameer gibbs was spectacular he scored three touchdowns on the ground he caught five passes for 48 yards alabama missed a field goal i mean i feel like you can't have a classic alabama game without a missed field goal that game was just awesome i don't even know what to say and tennessee missed an extra point too yeah Yeah. and then they had to make up for it by going for two and you mentioned the jalen hyatt the thing that stood out to me about his touchdowns were that almost all of them are at key moments they were all the same play as far as i can tell so if I had told you that Tennessee would lose the turnover battle and miss an extra point and Cedric Tillman wouldn't play and McCullough wouldn't play, we, you're not picking Tennessee. And yet they come out on top. I I was so impressed with, with, with what they did. Right. And I, I like their initial plan. I like what they were doing as far as like trying, trying to hit the deep shots. They were using a lot of that stack release stuff. To me, it looked like Bama was trying to take away the, those kind of easy access screens. And they were like, okay, we're going to run our you know secondary receiver full speed at your safety or you know potentially your your, your cover or your, your your corner if you're playing some kind of invert and man that was just not something that Alabama's secondary guys could handle at least not consistently right they, they got a couple of pis off it they, they hit i think a 70 yarder and a 60 yarder and a, a 39 and, and a 36 and honestly when i'm going through this box score it almost felt like they had more uh, than than just that, but I, it's a credit to the job Tennessee's coaching staff did. It's also a credit to Hendon Hooker for eventually being a little bit better throwing the ball underneath. Because to me, he's not somebody who does that well. But Bama adjusted a little bit throughout the game here, and as as the tide retook the lead, like Tennessee mixed it up enough. They scrambled well. I was I was really impressed with what they did, man. Like Hooker played his butt off. Hyatt played great. They blocked Bama just enough to be able to create those explosives. It looked like you were watching an old school Baylor offense, right? Just it was like that, that could have been RG3 back there just chucking it up. It's like, oh man, that safety is eight yards behind this guy. It's that's troubling. The easiest thing to pluck, if you're going to mention box scores, a school record 17 penalties for the Alabama Crimson Tide. It's a lot. Never in the history of Alabama football as a team committed 17 penalties in a single game, 130 penalty yards. I think that the um, communication offensively, uh, the we had delay of games, we had offsides, we had false starts, we had illegal formation. You know, you give credit to the atmosphere that Neyland Stadium created, but this is a... This has been something that has happened uh, for this Alabama team, not just in this game, and you know, not just even on the road. 
This has been a group that has made some mistakes, been a little bit sloppy. You had some special teams errors as well for this Alabama team. It's remarkable that you can stack up all of these things that Alabama did wrong. And like, still, if they make that kick and they're up 52 to 49, and the field position is a little bit worse for Tennessee on that final drive. Alabama wins this game, and we probably move on like nothing happened. The margins for the Alabama Crimson Tide are ridiculous, and yeah. Tennessee was able to come out on top on this one. So I, I want to like we were going to advance the Tennessee storyline here in a little bit, but what's next for Alabama? Is this an Alabama team? Because they've Gary Danielson mentioned it on the broadcast. This is not a division game. Everything is ahead of the Crimson Tide here. If they beat everyone in the division, make it to the conference championship game, and win the SEC championship, they're a one-loss team in the college football playoff. So, given what you saw today, do you think Alabama wins the rest of its ball games, gets to the SEC championship, and what do you expect if they get there? I still think they're the best team in the West, yes. And I still think they're going to get to the SEC championship. And depending on who they play when they get there, I still think they have a very good chance to win the game. Because if you look at the rest of this schedule, what offense can do to it what Tennessee did to it? Maybe Not, Miss. Mississippi but, State? No. Mississippi but Mississippi State, State uh, this is this is the, what we talked about on, on the Wednesday or the Monday show. Like Kentucky pass rushed them tonight. Bama's got a better pass rush than Kentucky does. And I, we, we've seen LSU do this. Kentucky did some similar things to what LSU did to Mississippi State tonight. At, and that game is next week. But it's in Tuscaloosa. We'll see who gets off the mat better for that. I just don't know if Mississippi State has enough offensive line-wise uh, to do it. Man, I'm, I don't know. I'm a little skeptical that they're actually going to lose in the regular season. But it, I guess it's possible. They, they don't look as crisp as they normally do. Bama to me looks like things are are more difficult than they usually are. You know what I'm saying? It, it just doesn't look more like l- laborious, I guess. Like it's it's hard, man. And it's think, normally not that hard for these guys. I think they make it more difficult on themselves a little bit than they have to, honestly. With the O'Brien stuff? Yeah. I think that with the play calling, yeah. there's sometimes it's like, why are you doing that? Why not just, you know, like Coco was talking about a pre-show. He was talking about why would how does Jameer Gibbs not touch the ball there at the end of the game when they've got that first down? But I just feel like at times, you know, like Bryce was banged up. He's still playing really well. But if you look at what Jameer Gibbs was doing in this game, 24 carries for 103 yards, he's putting some big plays. It's like you should have been putting the ball in his hands more often instead of having Bryce Young kind of just running around in the backfield trying to dodge Tennessee defenders coming at him from everywhere. It's like, I don't know. I think there, there was too much long developing stuff. There wasn't enough short, quick things that they could have taken advantage of. It was just, I, I think they make it more difficult on themselves. Bryce Young is so damn good, man. Yes, I know. We're, we're, we're going to talk more Tennessee, but oh my gosh. Like they ask him to do everything in this offense. I mean, it's, it's read it all out. He, he slides in the pocket really well. He's got a bunch of young and experienced receivers. The O line is not as good as it used to be, and like Tennessee gave them more problems with with, with their defensive front than I think, certainly than I expect. I think that, than probably most folks expected. And yet Bryce just if they don't have Bryce Young, if they have just some good college quarterback, they they lose this game by three scores. And doesn't he look so calm and chill and nice as it happens? 
Like you know, offensive line blows an assignment, he ends up getting sacked, and he's the first person to go and dap up the offensive lineman and be like, "Hey!" And he's got a. You can literally like see a smile on his face. He's a reigning Heisman Trophy winner. The CBS cameras are going to have him on camera all the time, and every single time after something goes wrong, he has the best level-headed, easygoing, like trying to inspire confidence attitude. I am. Uh, I'm a huge fan of Bryce Young and how he handled today through and through. He looked devastated after the game was over. You know, they all, of course, they also got that as well. But I, I thought that when, as you mentioned, it looked like he was not getting much help around him um, in a lot of different places. It looked like everything was on his shoulders. He seemed to be doing everything he could to be able to lift up his teammates. And I, uh, I, I like that. I, I, not anything that's unusual. I mean, we've seen him play hero last year all the way to leading them to the national championship game. But uh, here in this very difficult road spot, when a lot was going wrong, when, Hey, we started talking about going to the gas station when it looks like Tennessee might beat them down. Right. Yeah. I mean, like this 20 day, to 10 when I went, I was like, ah, I better go. Yeah, I know. I was like, oh, I better go now. This, this day <laughs> is going to spin out of control. Like this, this was a game where Alabama to me does deserve. And again, we are going to get to Tennessee. The balls are back. Yes, yes, yes. But like, Alabama impressed me with the way that it like continued to have answers at every single turn. 100%. Like they, they made Tennessee adjust. One of the knocks on his hypo offense has sort of been at times kind of one trick pony. And he really did a great job adjusting it. If, if we can transition it and if we can use that to transition in Tennessee, let, let's, let's do it. Right. Yeah. I mean, so I thought Tennessee had just enough run game tonight they spread you out so well. They don't actually throw the ball in the middle of the field all that much. It's really more like Hooker running the ball in the middle of the field. They, they do some of their zone read stuff there, some of their RPO stuff. Spreading Bama out, identifying where the guys were, were, were rushing from so you were not able to you know to bring a lot of different kind of blitzes. And, and like Hooker just played pretty well. Like, like I know that offense sets you a lot of easy throws, but he also made a couple tough throws, which was nice. I thought Tennessee, like they matched Alabama's physicality too, which was really important in this game. Like Bama had the you know, the goal line stuff where, where they would punch it in, but at least they, they made them earn it, right? And I, I think that was sort of a message, like, hey, we're we're here to play with you. And I I look at the rest of this schedule; they get Tennessee Martin coming up. That's a, re a game they're probably really going uh, to need, given what we're seeing tonight with the goalpost being torn down. And uh, <laughs> hell, Tennessee took back Dixieland delight. Right, oh, they, they, oh, they played man. it at the end. That was cold blooded. That, that was, was. I was so glad that we were able to like still get cameras in the building for that because that was some cold blooded rivalry stuff, right oh, there. Oh, yeah, like that. Bam fans are going to be pissed about that. Can Kentucky beat them? I, I have my doubts. I mean, if you saw Will Levis's mom tonight when when, when Levis got hurt, she was like disgusted, and my, I mean, her thoughts are probably like, "Man, this offensive line just totally sucks," which it kind of does at times. I don't know if Kentucky can win in Neyland. Maybe they could, but probably not. And then it's at Georgia. That's kind of your game for the East, unless you think UGA is going to lose to someone else, and I, at this point I, I don't. They could beat Georgia if they do something similar to this, right? Georgia's a different type of team than Alabama is, but I think they could get them. Also, I th another thing about what Tennessee did today, too, like, to give them credit, like you mentioned, just being able to adjust with their game plan, but also being aggressive. 
Like the decisions to go for it on fourth down, it's like the one didn't work. He had the play there. He missed him deep. It probably would have been six or first and goal at absolute worst if he makes the throw. But like the fact that they were doing it and they weren't playing scared because, man, you see so many times teams get into this situation as the underdog against the bigger, you know, the big, bad Goliath. And they just pucker up and they don't do what you have to do to win these games. So they took the shots. They were aggressive. It didn't work out for them at the time. But, you know, whether you, football karma, whatever you want to call it, it paid off for them in the end. They were in the game with a chance to win it late and they won it. And it's just it's awesome. I mean, I'm, I'm happy. I'm happy for Tennessee. I'm happy for Tennessee fans. And I know Alabama fans are going to be pissed. And I know Alabama fans are going to be pissed about some of the calls. And I get it. But. Like I said, I think Alabama is going to be fine. Right now, the most interesting story in the SEC will be that Tennessee-Georgia game. And three SEC teams in the college football playoff. No. Two at most. Down yeah, we're, goes we're, USC. Anyways. Oh, did they They did lose it? Oh, man. Okay. By the time we're out of here, we're going to talk about uh, what the top 25 will look like on Sunday when the new polls are released. USC, Utah, obviously playing a big role in that. We'll do the whole three SEC teams later. Anything else on Tennessee that we want to make sure that we get to? I thought that the um, the things that we discussed going into the game as being like fun sub-storylines, the fact that Tennessee maybe was sneaky good in the pass rush, the fact that Tennessee... Um, had had a couple of players, especially in that front, that were going to be able to cause some problems. I thought that they did a, a good job of that. They were extremely aggressive against Bryce Young. That boy took a lot of hits, but also that's a good thing for Tennessee. That's what you want to do to a quarterback that's coming into your house. Anything else on the Vols? <sighs> At least one of the best teams in the country, right? Like I, I don't think that I, should, I don't need to put any qualifiers on that. All right, well, we're not going to, we're, we're going to talk about the top 25 later. We're going to talk about what we're going to see in the top 25. I'll tell you on my ballot, Tennessee's going to be number one. I love Ooh. that. I mean, who has a better win in the country right now? Of all the yes. undefeated teams, who's got the better win? That yeah. is, that is my lead. My, my lead is about Tennessee in the number one spot. Why they have the best win, but why they won't be number one, essentially. When I, when I submit my Super 16 ballot tomorrow morning, Tennessee will be at number one. What do you think Lou Holtz is going to do? South Carolina. No, because he dropped them when they beat Kentucky. He no. had South Carolina the week before they beat Kentucky. Then they, they beat Kentucky, and Lou Holtz said, you're out of here. No, they practiced really well on their bye this week. He's going to have them in the top three at a minimum. <laughs> I, I will say, I, you're down 14, fourth and one from the two. I, this is kind of where Saban blinked. If you go back and look at that, when it's it's twenty one seven, they ended up need they, they needed those points later in the game. Like that, Nick usually plays this pretty much by by the like analytical book. If you look at the numbers on this, forty four percent. If you go for it, you know thirty five percent. If you kick the field goal, they kicked. To me, it was kind of like, how many points do you think you're going to need to win the game? And at that point, I mean, 21-7, you probably think, okay, they'll slow down some. We'll we'll figure some things out. I don't think in Nick Saban's wildest dreams, he thought he was going to need 52 to win this. But, hey, that's why you try to get all the points you can early. 
Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Oklahoma State. Mmm. Those Cowboys. I mean, I, I don't want to like. I don't want to. I don't. I don't. I don't want to poke them. You know, I was. I was trying to be nice this week. You know, I was. I was trying to cleanse all the negative energy. I was like, man, they're being outgained again. But don't worry, they'll win. That's what they do, right? That's what they do. Even though they get outgained, they they find ways to win. Buddy, Cowboys turtled up. The Frogs, who, listen, my note on my notepad, Tom Fernelli, was that you called this game right. They have played banger after banger after banger. They, they're running out of stuff. And I know they were running out of stuff because they ran like seven reverses in the first half. They, were, they had run out all of their plays, and they were just down to the trick stuff. But TCU storms back from a two-touchdown deficit in the fourth quarter, goes on to win the game in overtime. Max Duggan banged up, comes back in for overtime, and the Horn Frogs maintain their unbeaten record by beating Oklahoma State in double overtime. It was a thrilling game, everything that we would have expected from it. Uh, thoughts, thoughts on the game itself and sort of what our takeaways are from each of them as they continue uh, to, to both be very much in the Big 12 title picture. Oklahoma State came out really well. Yeah. Like, they scored touchdowns in their first two drives. The first drive was six plays, 73 yards, bang, touchdown. Then they went nine plays, 78 yards, bang, touchdown. The defense forced punts on both of TCU's first drives. But then, even though it didn't really show up until the second half, it was just a slow bleeding process from that point on because this is Oklahoma State's drive chart after those first two touchdowns. Three plays, negative three yards, four plays, seven yards, Eight play, 47 yard touchdown drive, three and out, three and out, halftime, 58 yard field goal drive, 60 yard field goal drive, three and out, interception, three and out, three and out. And then they had a 25 yard touchdown drive there in the overtime. So it's like they they had three or four actual, they had two good drives, two okay drives, and a whole lot of crap. And it just, you, it, they gave TCU a million opportunities to come back and win this game. And then finally in the second half, TCU came back and won the game. You know, you, you look at this all, all morning on Twitter. It was, is, is Spencer Sanders healthy? Right. And like, like it turns out he was healthy enough to play, but he was 16 of 36. Yeah. In this game. And a couple of those were like trick play throwbacks to him. To me, it looked like Oklahoma state, knew that he was dinged and they were trying to create wide open shots for him, which, Hey, wide open shots are great for any quarterback, but especially if it's somebody you don't trust 
to throw the football down the field. A hundred uh, to Tom's point, one hundred sixty-three yards in the first quarter, two hundred twenty the rest of the way. Like that's just really not going to get it done. Credit to Joe Gillespie and the TCU defense because the first two drives looked look like TCU had no idea what to do, and Oklahoma State had them on their heels. And also credit TCU for sticking with the run game. I mean, they threw 40 passes. They, they also ran the ball 43 times today. And eventually that paid off. And they, they went for 224 on the ground. They, they kept chipping away. The defense kept playing better. I, look, Oklahoma State was kind of banged up in this. You, you had Sanders, who, who I think was probably hurt. Their starting center didn't play. You had a couple more guys who were dinged. And eventually just caught up to them. I'm actually, I don't know how you say this. I'm a little more impressed with them, even in the loss today, just by like the firepower they showed when they were dinged up on the road at the end of a very tough slate of games than I was when they were beating Baylor or, or Texas Tech. So they're not out of the conference race. They, they could easily pull it up. So I don't know. Who do they have? They have a bye week anytime soon. They, they really could probably use it. But let's see. They, they're playing Texas next week. And then they're at right, That Kansas. could be tough. And then they're at Kansas. So, no, they don't have a bye the rest of the season. They had their bye. But this is okay. I mean, this is what we were talking. This is what we were talking about. Like, my opinion of Oklahoma State did not get lower today. Nothing changed. Oklahoma State today was the same team I've thought Oklahoma State's been for the last the first few months of the season. I think it's a good team. I think it's flawed. I think at some point it was going to get caught. It got caught today. I look at TCU. TCU is undefeated. It's six and zero. It's the only undefeated team left in the Big Twelve overall. Although Kansas State is still three and zero in conference play, but I don't think TCU is going undefeated either. Like I wrote on Monday and the Monday after, the Big Twelve is going to cannibalize itself. There are there are too many good teams. There's no great teams and there's no awful teams. So you're going to be able to catch somebody any single week. And if you look at TCU's schedule. Like they've gotten through probably the meat of it, but they get Kansas State next week, and they're at West Virginia, which will probably be tricky. And they get Texas Tech, which has been tricky. Then they're on the road at Texas and Baylor in back-to-back weeks before they finish at Iowa State. They're going to lose a game or two before this season's over, too. So it's like the Big Twelve West or the West. The Big Twelve is just absolutely wide open from this point on. Totally agree. And I learned something about TCU today as well because Oklahoma State has a good D line. Maybe the best D line they'll face until they until TCU plays uh, Kansas State, right? And they were playing a lot of drop seven, some drop eight stuff, a lot of zone. They were making Max Duggan hold the ball, go through his reads. To this point this year, TCU has largely lived on being an explosive team, and they hit home runs, kind of like Tennessee did today Mm -hmm. against Alabama. They only had one pass of more than thirty yards on the day, and. It's nice to have Quentin Johnston because he's just a total stud. I mean, we went for 180 yards. But that took a little while for TCU to settle in and realize, okay, this is how we're going to do this. In addition to the fact that, TCU, that Oklahoma State was kind of taking advantage of the substitution rule and Sonny Dykes lost his mind on the sideline. I don't know if you guys caught that live. No, no, on the refs. Go, go back and watch this. This is probably like maybe five minutes left in the second quarter. And then the refs actually spoke to Gundy about – how uh, TCU was having players like zombie walk to the sidelines like that that slow uh, when they were doing their substitutions so that TCU would get called for delay of game. Uh, so Because they, you know, they hold it until the sub's done, et cetera. I, but TCU had to run their way out of this because Oklahoma State was not allowed to get explosive plays. Guys, they had 11 runs of 10-plus yards in this thing. They just 
consistently were able to run the football. I had a question about that. I wasn't sure how good TCU's offensive line actually was. That was pretty nice. One more uh, undefeated against undefeated. It was, of all the undefeated against undefeated games that we had on Saturday, the one that was the most lopsided, Penn State had a pick six, a 62-yard run by Sean Clifford. And that's it. And that's it. <laughs> like, Tom, you and I talked about it on the Sports Line Live Betting Hour on CBS Sports HQ. Like, this was a game where I was at Michigan, 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 Michigan. Like, oh, did the live line get under seven? Michigan, 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 Michigan. Because the Wolverines played so well um, in this game on both sides of the ball. You had to live blog this for CBSSports.com. You wrote up the takeaways. You can go and read them there now. Uh, I'll, I'll let you get first word here. Uh, do you feel like any concerns that you had based on the way that things had gone over the last couple of weeks have been answered, do, or do you feel like this team is course-corrected? What are the big Michigan-centric uh, takeaways before we get to Penn State? It's a 24-point win, but it was a 40-point win. Felt like it. Did they, th- it was a, this was a, just an ass-whipping. Like, the... Here's Michigan's drives. Like, first of all, they start the game with this 11 play, 64 yard drive, but stall in the red zone, settle for a field goal. Second drive, it's the same thing 13 play, 77 yards, stall in the red zone, field goal. Then they finally break through with a touchdown. But Michigan had 10 possessions. If you take out the one at the end of the game where they were just kneeling it out, they scored on eight and they threw an interception on the ninth. Like, that pick six was the only time Michigan's possession didn't end in points. They just absolutely mauled Penn State the entire 60 minutes and just ran all over them. And this is a Penn State team that came into the game with like one of the better run defenses in the country. Like from the you know standard stats and the advanced stats, they were top 10 in just about everything. Michigan ran for 418 yards and 7.6 yards per carry. Donovan Edwards, who had 134 yards on the season in his first four games, rushed for 173 yards on 16 carries. Blake Corb, again, 166 yards on 28 carries and the 61-yard touchdown that kind of just iced the game. Like, there was the big play by Sean Clifford to set up the touchdown and then the pick six that made it close. And then Penn State started the second half with a field goal to take the lead. It was 17 to 16 and Penn State never came really close to sniffing the end zone or the field goal or anything again. Like Michigan was the far superior team. And I think that that's kind of what this game established for me is like they were kind of messing around the last few weeks, but they came out today and they looked like they were playing Colorado State, Hawaii and UConn again. Whereas Penn State, if you're a Penn State fan, you're probably got some PTSD going because remember last year they started five and zero, and then they finished the season seven and six, completely fell apart in the second half. Like I don't think you're going to see that from Penn State because I think this year's team is better. But they, it is it was clear again today that that team is just not on the same level as Michigan and Ohio State. And to think about the fact that Michigan, I mean, I know they won the division in the conference last year and were in the playoff. I don't think Michigan's on Ohio State's level. And Penn State's not even on Michigan's level. So that just tells you the gap between Penn State and Ohio State right now, too. Exactly. Although I will say, Penn State seems to play Ohio State better than it does Michigan, relative to like like power ratings. But I thought Michigan did a great job today of formationing and motioning Penn State into bad leverage in the run game. And then they they followed that up with nice physicality from the offensive line, including like their, their starting right tackle was out and they had a capable backup who was pretty damn good for them. And they protected him well with, with the tight end. And then Blake Corum ran extremely hard. And I thought it exposed some things on, on Penn State's defense. Like they, some of that was Penn State getting blown off the ball. 
some of that also was really good coaching for Michigan staff. And it really was the run game. I, to Chip's point, like, did you see anything that would have you like have lingering questions? I, yeah, I, I do. Like the passing game to me for Michigan is still somewhat of a question. I mean, McCarthy threw 24 passes for 145 yards. That's bad. But the run game was so good that you didn't really notice it. And it, very rarely was was Michigan in a long down distance where he had to throw. I, that was sort of why they stalled out in the red zone a little bit. But overall, it was pretty impressive. They they didn't have a ton of sacks, but I thought they had nice pressure on Clifford. They, they, they ca- caused him to like get rid of the ball quickly, which which was I think part of their their plan. They didn't want to hold, holding it and finding those guys downfield. And it was just total domination by Michigan. Like Tom, exactly right. Like it, it could have been a forty point win. They they whipped him. Yeah, they got too horizontal in their passing game. That's the one thing. Like I, I, I Michigan I did. Yeah, they're very good yeah. running the ball, but I think passing wise, they're just too side to side. There's not. I mean. It's like it's one thing if you're doing it to open stuff up vertically, but like unless JJ McCarthy is rolling out to his right, they're not going deep. Like when McCarthy rolls out to his right and you're a safety, you better get back because he's looking to go over your head. But if he's not, if he's in the pocket, come up, dude. They're not going over you. <laughs> I yeah, like you want to see more hard play action. You know, bootwaggle stuff where you're actually like taking shots down the field. Maybe it'll come. Like tonight, they didn't really need it today. No, they didn't. They had that game in control from the very start. And I think they knew that too. Mm. Coming up on the other side, there's a song, there's a tune. The people have been asking for it. We're here to deliver the Dino drop. Coming up next. The final score, 24 to 9. I don't know if you, how much of you all watched of Syracuse against NC State. I watched too much of it. So you know that the JMA Wireless Dome, if I was to choose one word, what would that word be? Electric. Electric. We had pre-snap penalties. NC State was all shook up. Mm-hmm. The reception was bad for NC State, but crystal clear for the Syracuse Orange. And what was echoing through those speakers sounded just a little something like this. Close your eyes. Visualize this. You're in the carrier dome. House is filled. The feeling is electric. The noise is deafening. You have a defense that is relentless. You have a special team that has been well coached. You have an offense that will not huddle. And you have a game that's faster than you've ever seen on turf. Open your eyes. That's going to be a reality. That's going to be Syracuse football. So, like, is Dino just going to last at Syracuse forever? Like, every six or seven years posting 10 win seasons and then going, like... 
20 and 70 in the years in between? Is that just how it's going to work? I think that's a fair expectation for Syracuse football. It is tough to be running a football program in Syracuse, New York. And I think that if you just say, hey, trust me, trust the system I run, trust my vision for this team, you know, program, like all this other stuff. I mean, when, what was it, the 2020 COVID year where between opt-outs and injuries, they were fielding an FCS roster by the end of the season? Like their number of active players was like in the low 50s. They get, there are uh, contextual reasons to explain some of the struggles since they popped with that, with uh, the 10 win season in 2018. So, yeah, like I, I've been talking about this as like one of the examples of if you are not at the top of the food chain, the Syracuse Dino Babers example is not having the itchy trigger fig- finger and just rolling through coaches and having to fire a coach every single four years being like, okay, we, we think you're going to be able to continue to do this. And Babers has proved it. Did, did you guys watch any of this? All of it. All right, you did. So. Okay. I have questions. Yeah. A lot. Let's hear it. How the hell did you let that, that transfer quarterback from Charleston Southern throw, throw the ball 30 times? Like, did they not come out and run just like total like what uh, Syracuse did they not come out and throw like like run spread option stuff? What 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 are they just try to run the regular offense with this kid? No, I mean they no there was nothing that was really down the field. It was like they are Thomas comeback routes to the outside and a lot of like screen short passes, but a lot of that was dictated by the fact that Syracuse had leverage in the game. Like right. you know, they they had to move the ball down the field. Syracuse has a very good run defense. Um, and uh, Demi, Su- Demi Sumo Kongbe was not in the lineup. Dave Doran spent a lot of this week saying, I think we're going to get Devin Carter back at wide receiver. I think we're going to get uh, Demi Sumo Kongbe back at running back. That was not the case. Justin Houston had some really hard runs, but when they got into the red zone, I mean, it was just – you. you Syracuse had zero respect for the idea that they were going to do anything else but run the ball. And so they had to settle for field goals. Syracuse had 12 big plays for 253 yards. NC State had five big plays for 86. I mean, this is like you were talking about during the week, Chip, when you took NC State, like you you were referencing the 2020 season when Leary was hurt. And you're like, well, you know, NC State, they they got some duct tape, rubber bands, paper clips, and they were able to put it together. They, they, they couldn't do that today. And if that's what they're going to be without Devin Leary, which that's the other big news. It's not just this week. Devin Leary is out for the rest of the season. They announced that today. It's rough for the Wolfpack. I don't know how many more games they're going to win. It sucks for Leary. It sucks for them. And it sucks for the ACC because this is supposed to be one of their premier teams. And obviously Syracuse is stepping up. So maybe Syracuse fills that void and kind of restores its credibility. But we all know how that goes when it's a team that's expected to be good versus like a Cinderella. The Cinderella never gets as much respect. So it's just, yeah, it's, it's a bad game for NC State all around. I just, I, I don't know, man. Like, I feel like like letting him throw the ball 30 times, just try to run option stuff if you can. Like, like I, put, put it in as a modifier. Like, we saw that kid last week. There's a reason you didn't trust him to throw a single pass. Well, I guess he threw one against NC State in like the final 20 minutes of that ball game. I, I, I mean, I bet Syracuse here when it got down to three, and I, I still feel like 
It shouldn't have been that easy. He stole. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, like Syracuse had no offensive consistency. It looks like from this from this box score, they just hit a couple explosives, and NC State couldn't. I mean, three point seven yards per play. It, that's ugh, not great. Syracuse plays Clemson. Game of the century. Yeah, I don't, I, don't, I don't know how it's going to work out. It helps. It helps Clemson's strength of record at least. Um. <clears throat> all right. So where do you want to go next? Texas, Illinois, I was going to say we should talk USC, Utah. Yeah. Oh yeah. I guess yeah. Utah won. <laughs> yep. All right. Well. Okay. So we talked all about right. that. All right, Illinois now. <laughs> <laughs> um. All right. So. This game was so messy, like early on. So I've I would have to say that like I don't have a lot of good notes based on trying to get the tomorrow's top twenty five done, trying to get ready for this podcast. Like I've just sort of been tracking basically from like early to mid fourth quarter on. But what I saw early was a lot of like very awesome USC. Jordan Addison gets hurt. That seems significant. That was a little bit later on. Utah had some some really good responses here. I kind of feel like it was the game that we probably should have and did expect. You know, like Tom, you and I were talking earlier on CBS Sports HQ. Like I, I was just a big shrug emoji here. Like the, I think Utah wins, but not super confident in it. And that is kind of the way it played out. I guess the chat was popping when Utah decided to go for two and was able to convert it. So. I mean, I look forward to being able to take in all the twists and turns of this game uh, as it happened on the DVR here in the next little bit. Yeah, I was surprised how many points were scored. Like, I didn't really see that coming, but that was, yeah. um, I was impressed by Utah coming back and winning this game because, you know, it, it felt like you were saying, like early in this game, it was just like haymaker after haymaker from USC, and they jumped out to the twenty-one-seven lead. And I thought, like, I thought we were going to see Utah fold because honestly, to that point, they'd had the touchdown, but they weren't—they didn't really look all that energetic to me. They looked kind of stiff. They looked kind of lifeless. And USC is just coming out. Caleb's throwing the ball all over. He's breaking big runs. Jordan Addison's moving around in space. And like USC run defense that has been horrific all season was stonewalling the Utes. And I was just like, oh, this is this is going to get sideways fast. But the Utes fought back. They stuck in. They figured some stuff out. They obviously made some adjustments at halftime. And I, I mean, I wasn't paying close enough attention to know what the adjustments were exactly. But USC in the first half, 28 points. USC in the second half, 14 points. Like they came out. They did a much better job stopping them. And the Jordan Addison injury, I think, mattered. But I don't think it was I don't think that was the only contributing factor to them stopping moving the ball. So, yeah, this is I think it's huge for Utah because after watching them lose to the Bruins. And this is the other thing I mentioned on HQ with you earlier today, too. It's like. Utah got beat up by UCLA last week. And that was the most disconcerting, startling thing for me, simply because Utah, no matter how good it is, is supposed to be the team that beats you up. And maybe you beat it on the scoreboard, but, you know, it's like you're going to feel us tomorrow. They didn't look like that team last week, and that gave me some real concerns about them going forward. And in the second half of this game, I felt like they kind of got back to that a little bit. I mean, they also obviously had some finesse and some explosive plays on offense. 
but I just felt like that was probably the most complete performance I've seen from Utah, at least in a half of football in the second half of that game. And then Kyle Whittingham and like we, we were mentioning it before the show, like if if Utah scores here, do you go for two? And I was like, nah. And but you were like, nah. and then they went for two. So like the aggressiveness was I wouldn't have done it, but I appreciate it. I respect it. It paid off and it won. And maybe Kyle Whittingham just said to himself, you know what? It's been working for the second half. If we go to overtime, it's probably not going to keep working. They're going to be able to score giving them short fields like that. So I better try to win this game here and now. And that's what they did. One of the Utah weaknesses this year had been red zone offense, not scoring, but in terms of like actually converting it for touchdowns. They had real problems against Florida. They would have blown out Arizona State by a ton if they actually could have scored red zone touchdowns and not settled for field goals there down in the desert. Last week, you had a little bit of problems with, with that, right? So tonight, I think they scored a touchdown every time they got in the red zone, except for maybe the first on, on the opening drive. And that paired really well with what USC had done so far this year, but did not do tonight. Because USC, like, let's think back to the Stanford game. Stanford moved the ball on them, and they got inside the 15, and they would screw around, or USC would get a stop or a turnover. Tonight, USC only forced one non-red zone touchdown, right? Like, every time they got in the red zone, touchdown, basically. And they only had one one turnover forced. That is kind of what USC's defense had been surviving on. They would allow a lot of yards to most everybody who they played, uh, I mean, for the most part, but they would get red zone stops or turnovers. And tonight they did not get those. And I also felt like Utah was a more consistent team. Like USC was more chunk reliant, which can work, but Utah just seemed to be able to get what it needed to get when it needed to get it, including the final play. Helmets were sweet. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Also, I will let Oklahoma know we have taken notice with your Cover 3 podcast shout-out on your uniforms. Oh. They all had U-N-I-T-Y oh. on the back of their uniforms. <laughs> and I want to say that I understand the olive branch that Oklahoma football is trying to offer <laughs> as they try to come around and, and get better treatment with their shout-out to Lock Unity and Queen Latifah on the back of their uniforms. I mean, we shouldn't be surprised. It does seem like the entire state listens. It does. Do we want, do we want to go there with uh, w- with our lock unity? <laughs> what? With, with, uh, with Clemson? Yeah. I mean, we we, we did uh, we did hit it with the... Like, to me, this did feel like stealing. I... I I don't know. Like, I didn't think FSU could match up along the lines of scrimmage here. It got sweaty. They were messing around. It got sweaty. But it was was really lopsided there for the middle portion. Like, the few teams, few programs are better at taking your candy in the middle eight than Clemson. But for real, like, they – they put it in their game notes. They talk about it like all the coaching staff talks about it. Like everybody around that program, like they are so um, bent on making sure that they are finishing the half stronger and that they start the half stronger than the opponent. And that's where a 14 14 game totally flipped. And you come out on the other side midway through the third quarter, it's 31 14. So. 
it got sweaty near the end because Clemson's kind of turtled up, tried to just get out of Tallahassee with the W. You know, a pretty good quarterback decided that he was going to maybe try to kick in the back door. But I didn't think it was stealing. I think that was a hard-earned lock unity. No, I, I just felt like the number to me felt like stealing on on, on Thursday. Um, way too small of a number. It was stealing. Yeah, correct. <laughs> I, that, that, that's what I mean by stealing. So I just – I think if you're a Clemson fan, you take away that the passing game looks okay. Still some work to do there. DJ running around works pretty well. Shipley's a beast. Your O-line went into a tough environment and handled, you know, an okay D line, like FSU and tell these a little bit better than that, but like that's still the first time they've had to go on the road this year in an actual hostile environment. Because like when they go to Wake, I don't know if people listening, I know you guys know there's more Clemson fans than there are Wake fans, oftentimes when they make the road trip to Wake. So it's kind of a box to check. All right, hey, went, went on the road, probably the toughest road environment they'll see until you go to Notre Dame, depending on how good you think Notre Dame is. Maybe we should talk about that. <laughs> It's in not, a little bit. not very good. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I, honestly, guys, like I think if you're an FSU fan, uh, you should probably come away somewhat encouraged by some of the things you showed, right? They found a way to get two touchdowns early in this ballgame, and really they were schemed up. Jordan Travis looks healthier than he had been the last couple of weeks with his legs, which is, you're going to need down the stretch. They're just not like athletically. They can't hang with Clemson right now. All those little short swing passes – I don't think that was bad coaching. You just got you just got beast moded by guys who are better athletes and better players than you have. Okay, so what about Kansas Oklahoma? Is that a is that a Kansas thing? Does Oklahoma I mean, get to celebrate? Oklahoma runs the same offense Tennessee does, and Kansas did not handle it very well. Gabriel looked healthy, and you know, I mean, Kansas just, basically Alabama. I mean, they struggled with it. Yeah. No, it's, I mean, yeah, if you're Oklahoma, feel good because honestly, you needed the win. And it's not like, you know, like you could, you could write it off as saying, oh, you beat Kansas and you're excited. Well, Kansas is good this year. And I know they were down to a backup quarterback, but they still, they've proven to be a pretty good, decent team. And Oklahoma's had problems beating anybody in the last few weeks. So putting up 52, that's nice. Putting up 700 yards of offense, that's nice. Do you feel good about that? But, Gave up 42, 42 points, so it's like the defense is still going to be something of a problem. But, I mean, like, if you're the Sooners, you can't really look, you know, can't, I don't know, what's the saying? You, just, you, you can't be, like, unexcited about wins. You need every single win you can get right now. And then, you know, you Lincoln the looks a gift horse in the mouth. Oh, there we go. And then Lincoln Riley lost, so you can even celebrate twice today. Hey, what a day. Yeah, this is the best day of the season for the Sooners so far. Um. And Texas almost lost. Mm-hmm. But Quinn cool. Ewers let a game-winning touchdown drive because he's the best quarterback in the country. No, that was – listen, that was what stood out to me is that Texas got caught in a bind, and they said, all right, you know what we're going to do? Bijan and Roshan Johnson and no one else touches the ball. We're just going to run right – oh, oh, you're doing this like rush three, drop eight with all your skinny little like well-coached five-star culture guys? Well, here we come with actual four-star and five-star guys, and we're just going to run right at you. And the entire game plan for how Texas was going to win was that our players are better than yours, and we are going to rely on physics and just run right at you. And guess what? It worked. It was – Rem- not remarkable. It was noteworthy to me that it seemed like the ball was taken out of Quinn Ewers' hands when they needed to go into winning time. 
Texas survived a hangover letdown game for the ages in terms of the, of the spot, right? Mm-hmm. Like they just set like the Red River shootout record for for margin of victory for, for Texas. They go and they play a feisty Iowa State team and they get the dub. They didn't look that great today, but they didn't look terrible. And in prior years, they would have lost this game, I think. It's an easy overlook spot. You see, okay, man, Iowa State's 0-3 in the league. They only scored like 30 points or whatever. And UT gets the dub. I, but we did talk about this on Wednesday or Thursday. I, I forget which day it was. But what would Texas look like if Ewers did not have some of the easy access throws? And kind of like Duggan today, honestly, guys, Iowa State took away in a similar fashion to what Oklahoma State did, some of these easy throws and some of these like more deep shots, and they forced Ewers to be patient. And it's something he'll have to keep working on. Yeah, it's, I mean, Iowa State, they did it to Kansas, and now they've done it to Texas. They're proving defensively they're pretty good. They can take your – they're good at taking away what you want to do away from you. But, like, what's Iowa State now in the Big 12? They're 0-4. Yeah. They did drop a wide-open touchdown to win the game, by the mm-hmm. way. Oh, no, Xavier Hutchinson was feasting. Yeah, like, and he, he dropped that ball. Oh, he, sucked. He'd been playing so well all throughout that game, and – Hunter Deckers was in a rhythm, and you were starting to get that sense that it's like, okay, Iowa State's going to be able to do this. Like they're having the one wide receiver go off and just go total alpha on the entire secondary. And then he did it. He so, dropped the game. So Iowa State is now 0 4 in the Big 12, and they've been outscored by 14 points. Yeah. And that's why Nebraska wants to hire Matt Campbell. He <laughs> took that from Reddit CFB. Yeah, Reddit CFB dropped that one. I always try to give love, but like, like I shared that one in our our company, our workroom, and I mean, it's just so vicious. Like, like tweet tweet number one, they're zero and four. They're all one score losses, a total of fourteen. Tweet number two, now you know why they want why Nebraska is interested in Matt Campbell. Are they like to, to my point? Like, is Iowa State the worst team in the Big Twelve? No. Well, who's worse? No, listen, I know West Virginia just beat Baylor on Thursday night. No, it, it might be. How many? How, how, that's, so that gives them like one more win than Iowa State has against anybody in the conference. Like if we look at Iowa State's. And they did that without Donaldson too. Yeah, like Iowa State's three wins are Southeast Missouri State, Iowa, and Ohio. I think they only have 60 points. Is that right, Tom? In Big 12 play? 65. Yeah. I mean, that's it's hard to win games if you're only scoring 16 points a game. Special teams were bad. Um, the, the man, Chris Hassel, he, uh, he talks about this a lot with Iowa State. It's a team that has to operate at the margins. And when they're yeah. winning at the margins, they can be successful. And if they are losing at the margins, they are not good enough everywhere in between to be able to win football games when they mess up on the tiny stuff, when they mess up on the details, then it's going to get bad quickly. And that's why Iowa state's whole program history includes some rough stretches. And that, that might be where we're at right now. I don't know. This is why people got mad at us last summer when they, when we said, look, appreciate what you have now. Matt Campbell is delivering the best teams Iowa State has ever had since like since the, the admission of radio. 
basically, right? Like we, we, we went back to like 1908, guys. So this is still like an okay season. It's very much within the acceptable, predictable range for Iowa State. You play a lot of close games. You may go on a run where you lose a bunch of close games in a row. And there's still a, a program that is punching way above their weight class. Like Iowa State in my lifetime, in our lifetimes, is just as bad as Kansas for the most part football-wise. In fact, probably worse because their, their peaks have not been as good. Kansas went to an Orange Bowl. I guess Iowa State went to a Fiesta Bowl, right? But it was – did they actually play for the conference title? I'm trying to remember. Yeah, yeah. They got to the championship game. Okay. Lost Oklahoma. I, mm-hmm. Right. I I don't know. Like, they are what they are. It, it They're a good developmental program, and if, if you miss a couple things, like Chip said, on the margins, you're in trouble. Let, that's enough talk about these scrub teams. Illinois. Yeah. We are an hour into the show and we haven't talked about either of the two best teams in the Big Ten West, Illinois or Purdue. I'll let you guys choose which one you want to talk, start with first. Well, I, Purdue beat the one of the Halloween decorations around my street called Nebraska <laughs> and was like lucky to do that. But let's talk about Illinois, which got it done in darn emphatic fashion. What'd you think? Uh, they're a much better team with Tommy DeVito than they are with Art Sitkowski. Tommy DeVito playing today was huge. Uh, Minnesota just, I mean, they couldn't really do anything. Like, and that's just kind of the theme of the season against this Illinois team. Like, Mo Ibrahim had a couple big runs. He rushed for 127 yards. He had the best day of any running back against the Illini by far. But Illinois kind of seemed okay with that because Minnesota could not throw the ball and move the ball in the air. Tanner Morgan was 4 of 12 for 21 yards with an interception. He got hurt, got knocked out of the game. Ethan Kiliak Manis, I think he's Greek, uh, was 2 for 6 for 17 yards with two interceptions. Like Illinois had 472 yards and held Minnesota to 180. So, like, it was 26 to 14, but it was kind of like what we were talking about with Michigan and Penn State, in which Minnesota had a couple big plays that helped them get points. Like, there was the big Ibrahim run that set up a touchdown. They had the big kick return that set up a touchdown. But other than that, they couldn't do a damn thing. And that has just kind of been the story for every single Illinois game. And we're seeing as the season goes along, and, you know, because Illinois brought in a new offensive coordinator and Barry Lunny, as the season goes along, they're all kind of getting a little bit more comfortable in the offense and getting a better grasp of the offense, whereas early in the season, it was just give the ball to Chase Brown and see if anything emerges in the passing game. Well, now they're still able to give the ball to Chase Brown, who rushed for 180 yards. He's already over 1,000 yards this season. But Isaiah Williams had nine catches for 62 yards. Pat Bryant had seven catches. Brian Hightower is a big guy on third down coming through with three catches. Like Chase Brown was also a big player out of the backfield, too. He caught the first touchdown of the game. So it's like they're just becoming more well-rounded on offense, which is only going to make them more difficult to stop. And they need to score points because that's the one thing. Like Purdue can score points. Purdue will be able to score, I think, on this Illinois defense. They're the one team in the division, I think, that is capable of doing it. The problem is Purdue gives up a bunch of points, too. But still, Illinois has to be in a position where it's going to be able to score if it wants to beat Purdue. And it's got to do the same thing with a couple of games that are left on its schedule with Michigan State, Michigan, those kind of games. Like we, The offense that they had today, I think, needs to keep continuing to evolve. And if it does, this is a team that I think is going to win the West. Who does Purdue have left from the, from the, uh, the East? 
think let's see. I saw their schedule earlier, but I can't remember. Because you guys, you guys get a buy, and then you go Indiana, which you know, giant killers in Indiana. They did beat the no. Indiana is the only team from the East they have left. They had Maryland, Penn State, but they've got Wisconsin on the road next week. Then Iowa at home. Then they're in Champaign on November 12th, which will also be Illinois Senior Day. And then they finish at home versus Northwestern and on the road at Indiana. Yeah, I'm far more interested in watching Illinois beat Michigan on November 19th because that would just be amazing. I don't think that's going to happen. but I don't I, think it's going to happen either, but I I want it. You, you guys do a nice job of like – Keeping people off balance. I watched more of this game than I thought I was going to watch. You guys keep people off balance well with some of these motions and shifts that you do. And then, like, you pair it with nice physicality. And it creates where I feel like people are not able to attack what, attack your offense. Like, Michigan may be a different animal because they just have guys who are just going to win one-on-one battles at, at the point of attack. I think maybe they probably are a different animal. I, I see Chip nodding there. But against most of these teams that, that Illinois plays, like, they're not able to just come downhill and attack you guys because you do a really nice job of keeping them off balance. It's it's kind of cool to watch. Yeah, like the thing is, like under Brett Bielema, they're still a very physical football team, but they're not like a Bielema Wisconsin team at all. Right, they're much more balanced. They're much. They've got a whole lot more. Like you're saying, bunch more motion, bunch of ways to kind of trick you pre-snap, just stuff like that. They're much more versatile in the passing game. They use a lot of RPOs. It's not just hand the ball off, but they still, when they want to run, they will get on your ass and they will run on your ass. Um, should we give a shout out to Hawaii? Are they winning still? They are. They're winning again. Um. This quarterback for them is like not good, but he's not terrible. And that's kind of a huge advancement for Hawaii. Or Braden Schrager uh, is already at 100 yards, 7 of 9, and a uh, touchdown here with a minute left in the first quarter. So, Chip, that is not where you thought it was going to go. And uh, sorry. I, I, yeah, sorry I mean, like there, yeah. there's a lot that we could chew on from the day that we haven't gotten to yet. It's like, can we give a shout out real quick? I'm like, oh, okay. So <laughs> let's see. Bud, Bud wants Mid- to talk a little bit about. Uh, I don't know, Colorado. Michigan State? Win of the season. Yeah, Michigan uh, State. Michigan State in double. You can lump them together. Michigan State, Colorado, like their first uh, Power 5 win on the year, right? The 330 slate was incredible. And, like, if Michigan and State and Wisconsin were worth a damn, then we would have talked about it like the best day in college football history. But instead, Michigan State and Wisconsin played a game that nobody except for Michigan State and Wisconsin fans were watching because too many other things were going on all at the same time. Yeah, that was one thing I was thinking I was going to mention if we ever got to it, which we haven't, which also says everything you need to say. Like, Michigan State played Wisconsin today. I didn't watch any of it. Like, I've got it on the DVR. I'll talk about it before Monday, maybe, but I didn't see a single play. And then, you know, Notre Dame, Stanford, Notre Dame lost. I didn't see a single snap. Arkansas crushed BYU. It was close. They pulled away late. I was watching when it was close. I was not watching as they pulled away later. The KJ Jefferson breaks a thousand tackles play. <laughs> yeah, I did see that one. Yeah. Yeah. Tom uh, at Tom Fernelli, he said there's a lot of college football in this play. As <laughs> you saw him like really do something that seemed like it was right out of a video game. No, I mean just there was just so much to chew on today that I, I look forward to upon further review. Uh, Washington, Arizona, caches for the Arizona, caches for the over. Uh, LSU, Florida. I, Speaking of big runs where nobody was tackling, did you see the Anthony Richardson 81-yard touchdown? In which no. 
I did. <laughs> it looked like he had like a like when you're playing a video game, like and you get like the invisible force field boost. It looked like he had one of those on because LSU defenders were just oh. It was uh, it was not not great um, tackling, but it was it was a nice run. But I, because I have to be out on Monday, I have a charity event that got rescheduled due to the hurricane. Uh, the key stat I have here that I was going to put on UFR is that BYU had one tackle for loss out of eighty four plays that BYU or that Arkansas ran. So not a great ratio. Arkansas offensive line, I felt like just did not have any problems with BYU's front. They pushed them around much worse than like what Baylor did a couple weeks ago. Golf charity event? Yeah. Oh, all right. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's for the kids, y'all. It uh, is, yeah. <laughs> um, Ole Miss, Auburn got interesting. Are we getting back together tomorrow? I have family visiting tomorrow, so. <laughs> I'll do it. I don't know about we. You know, I, I, I got to give Auburn some credit for fighting here. Like they get they get down fourteen nothing pretty early, and or maybe it was twenty one nothing. It was really ugly early on, and like they just they kept losing offensive linemen and getting better. It was, mm-hmm. it was strange. But. Oh, they benched Robbie Ashford, then brought him back, and he still like almost tied the game. Yeah, yeah. there was there was a while there where it might have been hilarious. It was almost incredibly incredibly funny. Um, and now, you know, Ole Miss ends up winning the game. I I don't know what to expect. I guess Brian Harson is probably going to get fired tomorrow. I don't know. And how high will Ole Miss climb in the AP Top 25? I mean, after that win, I, I don't see how you can put him in any lower than like 10th, right? All right. Well, that's how you like that transition. I'm Let's pro. do it. Man, man's trying to transition himself onto bedtime. All right, so Ole Miss was number nine in the AP Top 25 last week. I think they only get to eight. I think that that is because Oklahoma State's going to take a little bit of a loss. Um, here's the fun USC's discussion. He's dropping too, though. USC, I've I got it. To see it. Well, who's hopping over Ole Miss then? I don't think Alabama falls past UCLA should. But they were off this week, so they're not going to get any kind of bonus for that. Yeah. Although TCU maybe hops. TCU. They are frauds after all. They would leap them. I've got got TCU up to six. Really? Yeah. The, The UCLA and Oregon both being off is like a little bit of a log jam in terms of, you know, you've got to decide about whether you're going to go above or below those two. Wait, TCU to six? Oh, yeah. how far are you dropping Bama? To seven. I don't see that happening. I, I bet you these voters will keep them like top five. They will not be ahead of Clemson at five. I think Michigan jumps ahead of Clemson. I think Alabama will be six, and then TCU or Ole Miss will be seven. And I would bet on it being Ole Miss before TCU. Although the voters did have a lot of respect for Oklahoma State, continually ranking it in, at number eight. So maybe. This. This segment is like like when, when you dunk on your kids and pool basketball. Like like Chip has already done the research. He's got the column written. He does this every single week. We're like, oh, he shouldn't be. And then like I, we we pull it up Sunday morning. Like, damn it! Like Chip's right again. This is <laughs> it's like it's like every week, man. So if, if Chip says Bama's going to drop to seven, I'm I'm buying it. But no, I mean at six is a good art. Like 
the but we're talking about one spot and we're yeah. gonna end up talking about the number of votes like voting points it's gonna be 1324 to 1295 like we're, we're gonna be talking about very very thin margins where a TCU team that the voters did not respect finally logged a win that they will respect as Tom mentioned beating an Oklahoma State team that was up in the top 10 against an Alabama team that was on the road yes favored by more than a touchdown but losing only by three taking their first loss of the season the my lead in to the to the piece is talking about Tennessee and its argument for number one and as Tom mentioned earlier like if you put Tennessee number one on a ballot you're not going to hear any argument my theory is that the 11 first place votes that went to Alabama most of those will go to Tennessee. Some may go to Georgia. I don't think any will go to Ohio State. But, and this is the thing that stinks for Tennessee, if you really wanted to see them number one, which, who cares? It's one week of poll, but whatever. Oh, I, are you kidding me? Who cares? Get to be number one? For one week? Who cares? Nobody. How many teams get to be number one for a week? Fair. 20 first place votes went to Ohio State last week. The Buckeyes were off. I do not foresee many, if any, of those 20 voters who thought Ohio State were the best team in the country last year, last week, ahead of Georgia, ahead of Alabama, changing their mind with zero results to change it. And I think that that creates a little bit of a logjam. What did Georgia do? Georgia had more first place votes than anybody else in the country. Georgia won 55 to nothing against Vanderbilt. Maybe a few of those Georgia votes do end up trickling over to Tennessee. So Tennessee, will it have first place votes? Yes, absolutely. I do not think it will have enough to get to number one. I don't even think it'll have enough to get to number two. I project the volunteers checking in at number three. You know what I would be like if showing up on this podcast if Illinois was ranked number one? You, you have any idea how insufferable I would be for you to sit there and say, oh, who cares? It's just one week in number one. Who cares? Come on, man. We've got a producer who's a Tennessee fan who's not even here tonight. He is drunk out of his mind. Does he even know where he is? Because no, like, yeah, I. Hmm. He's got. Do that. you give Tennessee more credit now for what they did uh, on the road at LSU? No, no. Um, that's the other yeah. thing. It's like, what's a ranked win? Because nobody else in the country has four ranked wins. Tennessee has four ranked wins. But what happens if three of those teams are no longer ranked? Now, to be fair, all of those three teams that are no longer ranked do have winning records. But Pitt, Tennessee, or Pitt, LSU, Florida, and LSU will Florida. probably be ranked tomorrow. Florida will not be ranked the rest of the season, though. Fair, mm -hmm. I think. Right? Although they they got the win over Utah, so not with that defense. They're going to lose it. They're going to get killed by Georgia. But oh, Tennessee has the best win of anybody in the country. Yeah. There's not a team in the country that has a better win than what the Vols picked up against Alabama today. Resume voters will put Tennessee number one. Power rankers will put Georgia number one. All right. I, I agree with you. If I was going to play devil's advocate, which I'm not, I'm just to screw around here for a second. Could you argue that Michigan's win over Penn State due to the dominance factor is bigger? No. No. Penn State and Alabama are not the same animal. Because we've seen Bama look like vulnerable and win by by extremely slim margins twice already 
like in the last Penn State was a seven-win team last year. All right, but I'm going to give you two points in Penn State against Alabama. You want it? Is it like a neutral site? Sure. I'll put it in State College. Shoot, give me 14. <laughs> no, because I mean, like they, they, I mean, what, what, what would you make? What would you make Bama Tennessee neutral tomorrow? Like so, Bama five? I had it about Bama six. Yay. So yeah, probably about five or six. Maybe Bama eight. Yeah. yeah. It was Bama 10 on a neutral going into this weekend. That seemed like a, like a fairly good number. I mean, Tennessee converted a lot of its fourth downs. They they, they did a really good job. They, they scored in the red they zone. They got some for short fields part. and cashed in. Yeah. yeah. Penn State can't do what Tennessee can do. I agree. Penn State, I don't know what Penn State can do, honestly. They haven't been able to run the ball like for a month now. Yeah. Clemson didn't do anything wrong. I just think Michigan, what it did that was impressive – Gets it back to the number four spot. Um, let's see what else is ranked. Do you think Kansas will be ranked still? Nope. No. I I kind of wonder. I think they might be because their losses are to TCU by touchdown and to Oklahoma by 10. And with everybody else that lost, they might not fall far enough. But there are also vengeful voters who I saw taking victory laps online today because Kansas lost. So Is NC State still ranked? Nope. No. I don't think you can. I, now that Devin, Mississippi State is, but with yeah. Devin Leary being hurt, it's just an easy excuse to be like, "Well, I don't have to rank." That's them. fair. Yeah. All right. Yeah, Who I'm is the most to... egregious team that will be left off tomorrow? Well, there's no egregious team that's left off because there's just such a drop off. We're assuming North Carolina gets in. They were the first team out. They're in the coaches' poll last week. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, they'll be in. They're six and one. <sighs> I don't know, like. <laughs> I mean, Tulane will make people mad, but they're six and one. Can you make an argument to rank Maryland? You could, but with Talia's injury, yeah, it's fair. Mm, Purdue. So I've got Purdue in at number twenty-five, and the way that I talked about it in the blurb is that after beating Nebraska, the Boilermakers could get even more attention. The argument for Purdue's resume comes down to a classic discussion of the good loss, as the only two defeats have come to other ranked teams. One lost Penn State and undefeated Syracuse, and both ba- losses have been by four points or less. What's their best win? I'm not saying that sarcastically. I just can't remember. Purdue's best win is probably or uh, Maryland's best win, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Ma- Maryland's best win is probably the SMU win. No, Purdue's best win is Maryland. Minnesota or Maryland. <sighs> Minnesota, I think, barely. Oh, Minnesota, I, I think Minnesota is kind of being exposed, honestly. I don't agree. I don't want to. I know there's a young man who's probably about 12 or 13 by now who once called me fraudulent for Nelly for what I said about Minnesota, <laughs> but I might be ready to put that fraudulent stamp back on the Gophers. All right. So everybody that we have called out for being top 10 fraudulent has lost within like a 10 day period. Mm hmm. Of us, uh, and like they lose their minds on Twitter, and then, then their team loses. Who is going to be that team this week? Will we have a fr- or, or is the top ten just n- no frauds? I got to see who the top ten is first. But man, when, all right, let's let's look at Ole Miss's schedule. Yeah, so, I'm a little worried about Ole Miss here. <laughs> if Ole Miss, they're on a if they lose at LSU next week, are you shocked? No, no. Yeah. If they lose at Texas A&M. Are they favored at, at, uh, 
at LSU oh. next week? If they are, I'm taking LSU. Of course, that worked out really well for me in the Tennessee game, so maybe I should think twice about that. Oh, shoot. I've got to record a voiceover for that. Yeah, you're Mr. Voiceover now. Every That's time it. I'm on HQ, there's Chip's voice talking for two minutes about a game coming up this weekend. Do you write those, or do they write them for you? Combo. Hmm. Because they've got clips that they want to show. Hmm. You know, like they, they've already pulled all that, so they'll – They'll have some stuff. You, you I mean you get a little bit of editing? You getting, you getting paid per promo? No, <laughs> but I don't want to do any. Okay, cool. I was gonna say I want to. I want to do a promo, but if you're not getting paid for them, whatever. <laughs> they did come awfully close last time they played in Tiger Stadium, though. Keishon Butte had other plans. Clip Butte winning TD catch. <laughs> <laughs> now, are you watching the clip as you're narrating, or are you just reading the script and then they're editing it afterwards? This is a thrilling stuff for our listeners. <laughs> the latter. Okay. Yeah, I turn it in, and then uh, then they chop it up. So. Make sure you tune into CBS Sports HQ so you can hear Chip's thrilling voiceover. <laughs> um, anything else before we get out of here? Obviously, a lot more to come on Monday from upon further review. I've got, like like you said, Tom, like Notre Dame, Stanford. What? Watch a play. Didn't, yeah. didn't see a minute of it. Um what, what do we have? And it does seem like Florida and LSU was bananas, but I didn't get to see any of that either. But I saw Florida fans being mad about the defense. Jaden Daniels actually looks good throwing the football for the first time ever to me. He looked good. Buffs on the board with a win today. Beaten Cal. No more winless teams remaining in the FBS, but there's like 10 undefeated teams. So again, I remind everybody, it's, it's easier to go undefeated than it is winless. So, Always bet on the winless teams. Are you firing Tommy Reese? He, like if you're Marcus Freeman, you've never been a head coach for. They're not going to fire you, but they are going to be like, hey, man, you sure you got this staff right? Because... I didn't see it today. I've been a big fan of Tommy Reese from what I've been hearing from people talking. I don't think today was a great day for Tommy Reese, but I got to watch the game before I can come to a conclusion on that. That's fair. Um, Stanford had four starting offensive linemen out. That's not really Tommy Reese's fault, though. No, but they went, I'm saying like. <laughs> That's the defense's fault. If you could take. <laughs> I mean, you give up, you give up 16. And you only gave up one touchdown. Ugh, 311 yards. Yeah, that ain't great. Listen, my whole office is starting to smell like black and mild. Let's, let's wrap this up. Let's do it. <laughs> like I, I feel Wait, like did you light it? No, no, no. Oh. I've got, I've got two young children within the very close vicinity. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I'm pretty sure video, like, <laughs> video documentation of this would have me turned into CPS pretty quickly. <laughs> so... You can follow him on Twitter at BudElliott3. You can follow him at Tom Fernelli. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Gentlemen, congratulations to the Vowels. Feels like 98. Real. <laughs>